Welcome to the Gathering Church Podcast. We are so glad you're joining us today. For more info about The Gathering, you can check out thegathering.online. Thanks for checking out the podcast. Here's today's message. Thanks for joining us as we continue our sermon series on the Holy Spirit, simply called power. Power. Those were the words of Jesus. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes. He said that to the disciples as he ascended to the heavens. And we started this series looking at the power that, first of all, Jesus walked in with the Holy Spirit during his time on earth. And then last week on Father's Day, we looked at the magnificent seven. We looked at the seven men in Acts chapter 6 who were called to serve the church by serving the widows so that the disciples could continue to effectively preach and pray, and the word of God would go forth, and the disciples would increase. At the end of last week's message, we we highlighted one of those seven men, one of the men who moved in power, performing signs and miracles among his people. His name was Stephen. And tragically, Stephen was killed shortly after for his faith. He's considered the first Christian martyr. And right before he was killed, he spoke to the crowd. He spoke to those who were preparing to end his life. And he gives them a long speech. I'm not going to go through the whole speech, but he walks them through the history of Israel. The different leaders and prophets from decades and decades before. And he spoke of Moses He spoke of the prophets that the people had refused to listen to over the years. And in that whole passage, I want to show you just one verse of what Stephen said to the crowd. Look at Acts 7, verse 51. He said, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. I love that Stephen, on the brink of death, he pulled no punches. He's like, if I'm going to go out, I'm going to go out telling them what I think. I'm going to give them a piece of my mind. I'm not going to try to like smooth things over with them. Be like, hey, I didn't really mean that. Let's just backtrack this a little bit. No, he went all in. He said, you are stubborn. You are stiff-necked. You always resist the Holy Spirit. I think it's interesting that he used the word, some absolutes in there. Always. I don't know about you, I got in trouble using absolutes growing up. Always this, never this. That's what Stephen says, you always resist the Holy Spirit. They were opposing the movement of the Holy Spirit in their lives. I started to think about it and I'm afraid to say sometimes you and I, we can, if we're not careful, resist the Holy Spirit in our lives. We resist him when we ignore the warnings that he gives us. We resist the Holy Spirit when we ignore his conviction of our sin. When we want to go our own way, we resist the Holy Spirit. Now, resistance, it should be our response to some things in life, right? We should resist the devil. We should resist temptation. We should resist sometimes change. Other times we should embrace change. 
Sometimes we should resist watching that third, fourth, fifth, 25th episode in a row on Netflix, right? It's so hard when they start the next episode right away. What are you supposed to do? We should resist that fifth or sixth piece of pizza or apple pie, right? There are things we should resist. We should resist maybe that snarky, mean comment that would make us feel better, but would maybe cut someone else down, right? There should be some things to resist, a lot of things to resist, but not the work of the Holy Spirit. And I think oftentimes we resist the Holy Spirit because, first of all, we don't want change. Who's willing to admit, I don't like change? There's some of us that don't like change. More people than raise their hand. I'll tell you that much right now. And the second thing is that we don't feel comfortable sometimes. Does the Holy Spirit ever make you feel uncomfortable? He he can make us uncomfortable when he asks us things like to remove sin, to step outside our comfort zone, to speak in boldness. And when he does something that's a supernatural way that we're not used to, But if we're not careful, we as a church can resist the work of the Holy Spirit. Think about that for a minute. We we might say because we don't understand speaking in tongues, because we can't rationalize it, somehow we we don't know how to speak another language, we should choose just not to accept it and resist what the Holy Spirit wants to do. I'm asking you today, friends, can we allow God to move us out of our comfort zone in order to grow? Can we develop such a hunger for God that we become so desperate for him to move that it's okay if it doesn't fit in the box of what we've already experienced? It doesn't have to be comfortable and neat and tidy in the way that we like it. I want to move with the Holy Spirit that wrecks our services. I want it to wreck our agenda. I want there to be a moment in worship where we're leading worship and we just say, you go. Worship leaders, you just take it where you believe the Holy Spirit is leading us. I want someone to come up and say, I've got a word of knowledge. I've got a word of wisdom. I've got something in my heart that God has given me to move the Spirit or to move where we believe we didn't plan for this, but the Holy Spirit had a plan. I want the Holy Spirit to have full access, full permission to do what he wants to do because this church belongs to him. It does not belong to me. This is the church that belongs to Jesus Christ. Amen? So we are going to submit to and embrace and receive the work of the Holy Spirit. Stephen, in that moment, he was pleading with the crowd, don't resist the Holy Spirit. Unfortunately, the mob only got angrier and more threatening. And as they prepared to stone him to death, it says that Stephen was full of the Holy Spirit. He gazed into heaven preparing to be received by his heavenly father. And there was a certain young man there at the stoning of Stephen. A young man who aggressively sought out Christians to kill them. To put a stop to the spread of the good news of the gospel. And this man's name was Saul. It says very succinctly in the the very first verse of the next chapter, chapter 8, look with me. It says, and Saul approved of his execution. Saul approved of, he encouraged the murdering of followers of Jesus. He was a chief member of the resistance to the Holy Spirit. But God had a plan for his life. And he went from resistance of the Holy Spirit 
to the reception of the Holy Spirit. Today's message is called, From Resistance to Reception. And I want to show you through the story of Saul, who became Paul, how we can go. How do we get from resisting to receiving the Holy Spirit? Are you with me? There wasn't a whole lot of preamble. There weren't many jokes. We just went right into the Word of God. And so we're going to go into the next chapter in Acts chapter 9 to start our story. And I want to let you know uh, we're in the book of Hechos. Did I say that right? I want to make sure I did that right. The book of Acts, Hechos in Spanish, uh, to give some of our Spanish-speaking friends. Did I do that right, Juan? Yes, okay. But just to make sure, I'm, I'm working on it. Yes, Nikki, I have a lot of people. Just so we know, we have some Spanish-speaking uh, in our congregation, and they are, they're merging into this culture to learn English. And I want to let you, I'm, I'm so impressed. They are so hungry for God that they'll say, it's okay if I'm still learning some of the words. I've got a Google translator out here to learn. And us in the English church, can I be honest? It's got to be the song that we want. It's got to be the best time for us to be here convenient. But can we have some hunger that no matter what the translation is or the, the Spanish or English, we're just so desiring of God that we want more. And we're going to emerge into that. Amen. All right. Enough of that. I'll move on. I'm going to continue to work on my Spanish. I'm going to ask Roger and Nikki and those to help me. Acts chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, it says this. But Saul, still speaking, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, he went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogue at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Saul here in the first two verses of chapter 9, he is fully engaged in finding and killing anyone who follows Jesus. His life at this point is consumed. He is obsessed with finding and imprisoning disciples of Jesus. But look what happens next. Read verse 3. It says, Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus. And suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. And Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand, brought him into Damascus, and for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. I'm going to be honest, I almost entitled this message today, Ultralight Beam, but I knew that would go against what I've been trying to tell people. I'm not creating titles out of rap songs and hip-hop songs. So I realized that afterwards. Saul was on the road to arrest and bind more Christians. And he's literally stopped in his tracks by the revelation of the reality of Jesus. Saul was headed spiritually in the wrong direction. He, he was against anything and everything that mentioned the name of Jesus. But even Saul couldn't argue with the reality and the power of Jesus in this moment when he saw a great light from heaven 
and heard the voice of Jesus asking him, why are you persecuting me? I think it's interesting. Jesus says his name twice. Saul, Saul. It was as if there was an emotion, there, there was a seriousness, him pleading with him, why are you choosing to do this? And Saul responded with, who are you, Lord? What that means to me is, Saul said, I I don't know who you are. I don't know who this person is, but whoever it is, he is Lord. That he would be able to stop me in my tracks. And Jesus said, I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting. Can you imagine how Saul must have felt? Because Saul believed in God, but he didn't believe in Jesus till this moment. And our first point as we look going from resisting the Holy Spirit to receiving the Holy Spirit Number one, we have to start with relationship before reception. We have to start with a relationship. You see, Saul was actually raised as a child to become a Pharisee. Did you know that? To know the laws of the Lord. And he he must have been taught to believe that Jesus was actually, they were leading a cult or a rebellion away from God. So Saul was devoted to destroying this rebellion from God. And I believe he had been so misguided that he didn't realize the Lord who was approaching him, the Lord who was intervening in his life was actually Jesus whom he had been torturing and capturing the disciples of. But now Saul is faced with the reality and the power of Jesus And he obeys his instructions to enter the city. It starts with relationship before reception. When you receive constructive criticism from someone, do you receive it better from someone that you've known all your life or from a stranger off the street? I would hope that you are more receptive to somebody when you have a great relationship with them. You want to receive, it needs to start with a relationship with him. Saul is now faced with the reality. But there were people there in that moment that did not have a relationship, any knowledge. I believe they were not willing to listen. They could not hear what Jesus was saying to Saul. In fact, if you look later in Acts in chapter 22, Saul, we know he becomes Paul, would later say that those with him, they did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking. Saul had a misguided passion for God that when Jesus awoke him to the reality, he quit resisting the spirit, but others did not have a passion. It was a religion and not a relationship, and they were not willing to hear from the one who desired a relationship with them. I'll be honest, when I first began to read through this passage, I got frustrated with God. I was thinking, God, if you would give this this moment, this flash of light for every single person on, on the face of the earth, we would all have a relationship with God, right? There were men right there in that moment that were witnessing it, but didn't understand. Look back in the Old Testament. How many times... Did God provide miracles for the people of Israel? They saw the seas parted, the Red Seas parted. They walked on dry land through that, and yet they worshiped the golden calf. 
They saw a pillar of cloud by, by day, a pillar of fire at night, and they would still choose to wander the wilderness. You can be close to God, but not choose to have a relationship with God, and you cannot receive from whom you're not willing to have a relationship with. It starts with a relationship. In order to quit resisting God, there has to be a relationship. It's the same way that if you read the Bible, you read a passage of Scripture, and someone that doesn't have a relationship with God, they read it, they're like, I don't get this at all. I don't understand. You have to be willing to receive. You have to be willing to let God speak to you through the words. And as Paul arrived in Damascus, Saul at that time, God spoke to a Christian man there named Ananias to go to Saul and pray for him. And I'm not going to read, but I'm going to paraphrase this portion. Ananias responded how much of us would probably respond. Hey, God, yeah, I've actually heard of that Saul guy. Uh, funny thing about him, he would actually want to kill me. I don't know if you know this. I'm going to give you some recent history here of what's going on on planet Earth. Um, but if you send me to Saul, you're sending me to my death. And God said, no, I've got a plan for Saul. He's going to go preach the gospel to the Gentiles and to the kings and to the children of Israel. And to Ananias' credit, he went, he goes to Saul. This is what happens. Let's read verse 17 and 18. It says, so Ananias departed and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately, something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized. This is amazing faith from Ananias to go to a dangerous man. And I don't know how you read that scripture, but how I see it is Ananias kind of sheepishly it says, putting his arm around him like, hey, brother Saul, hey, Saul. Remember when Jesus did that thing on the road to Damascus? You remember that, right? Because if you don't remember that, we're in big trouble right now. Yeah, so that's the same Jesus. He sent me to you to talk to you and to fill you up with the Holy Spirit. I think that that's just how I see it in my mind of Ananias coming up to him. And now, after laying on a hands, praying, Saul is baptized with the Holy Spirit. He regains his physical sight. And I would probably add there was a spiritual site that was opened. And immediately, Saul wants to be baptized to show the world that he chooses to follow Jesus. It's incredible that in verse 1 of this chapter, Saul is breathing threats and murder to disciples of Jesus. And seven verses later, he has accepted Jesus and he's filled with the Holy Spirit. But we know that's the power of our God. Amen? That that is what God can do. He can change someone from death to life in a moment if we're willing to receive it. And Saul was redeemed on the road to Damascus. That's our second point today. When we receive the Holy Spirit, we have to start with redemption that leads to reception. Redemption. There is conflicting beliefs on when Saul actually accepted Jesus as his Lord. Some scholars believe it was on the road to Damascus. Others believe it was when Ananias prayed for him. I'm of the mind that he accepted Christ on the road to Damascus, and I'll give you three reasons why. 
First of all, we looked at it before. When Jesus comes to Saul, Saul says, who are you, Lord? As if to say, I don't know who you are, but you have to be God. You have to be a savior to have this type of power. When we accept Jesus into our heart, what are we calling him? We are saying he is the Lord of our life. Secondly, after Jesus says that, he gives him instructions to go into Damascus. What are we supposed to do as disciples of Jesus? Obey him when he gives us instructions. Saul has received him as Lord, obeyed his instructions, and I'll throw a third one on because Ananias calls him a brother. I believe he's saying that you are now a brother in Christ. We were once enemies without Christ. You were an enemy to me. Other way around, he was an enemy to him, but now you're a brother through Christ. Three reasons why Saul was saved on the road to Damascus. Because we must be redeemed by Jesus before receiving the filling of the Holy Spirit. That is the only requirement for the baptism in the Holy Spirit. I'm going to say that again. That is the only requirement to receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit. It can happen right after salvation. The baptism in the Holy Spirit can happen directly after accepting Jesus into your heart. Quit looking for ways to disqualify yourself from receiving what God has for you. It is a natural progression to go from redemption into the reception of the Holy Spirit in starting your relationship with Jesus. Receiving Jesus into your heart, it should lead you to a desire to be filled with his spirit. And we see that what happens when Ananias lays his hands on Saul, he received the spirit and he regained his sight. The Holy Spirit desires to give you the sight to see, to open your eyes to see your own life, the areas where you struggle and how to live moving away from sin and towards God, and also to see those in our lives that are hurting and need the love of Jesus as well. Saul continued to talk about the power of the Holy Spirit. Look at Romans chapter 8, verse 2. He said, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. What that means is that we are saved by Jesus from our sins. We receive forgiveness and experience his redemption power and we are given the power of the Holy Spirit to constantly help us to live in that freedom through the Spirit daily. The work was done on the cross. The Holy Spirit is to help you to choose to live in that freedom every single day. Saul was saved on the road to Damascus and given the power to live out God's purpose daily through the Holy Spirit, from redemption to reception. And now I want to fast forward in the story of Saul. I want to look further after he's received the Holy Spirit. After he's been in ministry, he goes from Saul to Paul. And I want to look 20 years later at an instance in his third missionary journey. He goes to the disciples at Ephesus. Go with me from Acts chapter 9. We're going to move over to Acts chapter 19. Let me show you this story in Acts chapter 19. It says, verse 1, it happened that while Apollos 
was at Corinth. Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples and he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, into what then were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him. That is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. Paul finds this group of disciples and we could assume that they were gathering together to pray and and possibly worship. Maybe Paul had stumbled upon this church service in Ephesus and he asked them, he said, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? What this says to me, I'm wondering here, but I wonder if he was saying, I'm noticing something maybe lacking a little bit in this service that I've experienced in other church services. What it also tells me is that the Holy Spirit baptism is a distinct and separate encounter from the salvation through Jesus. They're not distinct as far as they have to be happen at way different time periods and years apart, but it's a different step. It's a choice to believe and be saved. It's also a choice to desire to be filled with the Holy Spirit after that. It's a separate event. And I believe Paul was trying to tell his new friends First of all, that there's more than what they're experiencing. This this group of disciples, they, they didn't even know that Jesus had come. Can you imagine having the faith that you've heard from John the Baptist? We know someone's coming. We know there's going to be a Savior. We don't even, we've never seen him before. We don't even know his name. That's incredible faith. And Paul said, well, I've got news for you. His name is Jesus. And he saved you. Let me baptize you in Jesus and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul introduces their faith to the person of Jesus and then prays. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And it says they begin to speak in tongues and prophesy. Our third point today is that receiving leads to speaking. When you receive the Holy Spirit, you receive the power to speak in the Spirit. There's a possibility that as Paul was observing this group of disciples worshiping, it's not that he noticed there was something wrong with what they were doing. He just knew there was more for them to receive. Maybe Paul asked them if they had received the Spirit because he he noticed a lack of freedom in their expression of worship. The the expression he would normally see in Spirit-filled believers. Maybe there was a lack of passion. And I preach this message on the power of the Spirit because I don't want a Paul to walk in those doors and come here and notice that we're lacking in anything that we need as a church to worship God. I want people to come in and experience the full power, the full peace, the fullness of the Holy Spirit at work in our services. I want people to come in and notice there's something different about these people in here than I experience when I'm in the rest of the world. 
that they're full of something that I want, something that's powerful and helps them. And Paul might have noticed there was something lacking, but he said, don't worry, we can change that real fast. And he laid his hands on them and he prayed and the Holy Spirit filled them. And they began to speak in tongues as the Holy Spirit enabled them. The Holy Spirit enables you to speak in your prayer language, in tongues, but also in boldness, witnessing to people for Jesus, speaking in the fruit of the Spirit with a greater love and a joy and a peace for people. There's some sort of outward response to what God has done internally. Notice Paul did not reprimand the Ephesians. He didn't chastise them for not knowing about Jesus or receiving the Spirit, but he did make a point to emphasize there's an importance to receiving the Spirit. And I think if it was important for Paul to show this to the church at Ephesus, it is also important for you and I as well. Later on, Paul was writing in his letter to the Ephesians. He said this, let me show you this one verse from Ephesians 3.16. It says, according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. God will give you the strength through the power of the Holy Spirit to strengthen your soul and your spirit. We need the Holy Spirit. We need him for our prayer language to encourage us. Do you know when you speak in tongues, you have a direct prayer language to the God of the universe? In English, the enemy can hear that. The enemy cannot hear your prayer language. He cannot attempt to sabotage it. He doesn't know what's happening. I'll tell you what, he does not like it when we begin to speak in tongues. He does not like that power that's in us, but it is the gift for you. And I want to talk to two different groups of people. If you've accepted Jesus into your heart, you've put your faith in him, this step is for you. This is for the people that you've been saved for years. And, and maybe you haven't taken this step yet. You said, hey, I, I'm okay. I've been good. I've made it this far. Can I tell you, you can make it even farther through the power of the Holy Spirit. There's something greater for you in the Holy Spirit. For those that have been saved for a long time, this gift is for you. But if you've only been saved for a couple weeks or months or years, guess what? This gift is also for you. We see time after time in the Bible People accepted Jesus into, your, into their heart and were filled with the Holy Spirit. Accepted Jesus, then filled with the Holy Spirit. There's no time that you have to wait. Worship team, you can come join me as we close. I'm going to ask the worship team to lead us in a song or two. And I'm going to pray. And then I'm going to ask you if you would like to be filled or refilled with the Holy Spirit meaning for the first time, or you say, it's been a while, I just need a refilling. I'm gonna ask you to join me at the front. I'm gonna share with you what happens when I pray for someone. What, what does that look like? You might see me up there praying for somebody. You're like, I don't know what's Matt saying. What is happening right now? This is what I say to each person. I clarify the prayer need. I don't just start assuming. You here to receive the Holy Spirit? Have you received it before? Yes, no, go from there. I say, okay, I'm gonna start by praying in English for you. I'm gonna start by saying, God, I pray you'd fill them up with your Holy Spirit. 
that they'd have a power in them that's from you. I pray that they would be willing to open their mouths and that you would speak your tongues and the language through them in Jesus' name. And I prayed that for a few minutes. And then what I tell them is that I'm gonna pray in my prayer language for you. Sometimes while we're trying to hear English and then also trying to be open to what the Holy Spirit is doing, it can be confusing. And sometimes it helps activate the Holy Spirit in us when we hear the tongues around us. You know, when you are young or maybe you have kids of your own and you notice your kids start to talk like you. They sound a lot like you. What you, what you listen to, you begin to pick up. I had that from my dad where I'd hear him every morning speaking in tongues. I didn't know how it worked, but I would lay my head as he would and sleep as he would be praying in tongues. I didn't get filled up at camp in the Holy Spirit. I didn't get filled up in the altar on a Sunday night, five hour service or anything like that. I got filled up in the most glorious place, my bedroom, great place to get filled with the Holy Spirit. Before bed one night, my parents said, let's just pray. Let's just pray for a little bit and see, see what God does. And me and my brother got filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak in tongues. When you come forward, I, I lay my hands on you, not because it has to happen for you to be filled with the Holy Spirit, but there's obviously a model here. We see it when Ananias prays for Saul, when Paul prays for the other disciples at Ephesus. That's the model that we have. I wanna encourage you, there's nothing to fear. Dalton said it earlier, said it so well, we're not seeking the gifts today, we're seeking the giver. And anything that the giver, anything that God gives us, we know that it is perfect and it is good and it is to bless us. So all these things that I'm saying today, the gift of tongues and prophecy and all those things that can scare us, it's simply asking, do you want more of God? Would it be okay if you received another portion of your power and his spirit in you? Then let's pray. Would you stand this morning as we close this time? I'm gonna pray, I'm gonna be right here as a worship team. I would love to pray with you to be filled or refilled with the Holy Spirit. God, we thank you for today. We put a pause on today to say, God, your kingdom come here on earth, in this building as we seek you. I pray for each person, whether they've had a relationship with you for years or they're a new Christian, whoever they are, if they're in relationship with you, you desire to fill them with your Holy Spirit. So God, as we seek you, fill us with the things that equip us to live out our walk for you. We thank you and we put our trust in you today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. The Gathering is a place where you can belong to a church that loves you, believe in the God who is bigger than you, and become who God created you to be. For updates, service times, or ways to get involved, check out thegathering.online. And if you enjoyed listening today, consider rating it or sharing it with a friend. We love you. The best is yet to come.